Good morning, church. If you open your copy of God's Word, 1 Peter chapter 5, continuing our series, Hope in the Dark. We're looking at this, that hope grows in humble churches. Hope grows in humble churches. Another way that we could say that is, you are only as hopeful as you are humble. You're only as hopeful as you are humble. So could I pose, church, how are we doing? Proportionate to my humility is my hope-filled living and thinking. And as much as the discouragement and the despair and maybe the depression, as you go through different seasons, you at least have to step back and ask, am I going down the spiral because pride is rising up as my hope is plummeting and they're mutually exclusive? Peter's pretty serious about this, that it takes quite a few verses to be able to unpack this main theme that as we're suffering, our default is not to be humble in our suffering. Have you experienced that? Usually I get humiliated in suffering. I get frustrated in suffering. Usually pride rises up as I don't get my way, as things go wrong, as my life falls apart. There's usually a lot of pride that gets dialed up. And Peter says, people of God respond totally different to trials and to suffering. Instead, they get low as the heat is cranked up to the fiery trials like we talked about last week. That hell, hot, fiery trials are guaranteed to wash up on your shore, knock on your door. It's going to happen. The question is, are you going to respond in such a way that you humbly seek the Lord or are you going to double down on your ability to fix it and endure through it, white knuckle your way? I got this. And Peter would say that's a problem. So the only way that the church is going to grow is if humility grows. Here we go. Verses 1 through 7. You think we can do it before lunch? Turn to your neighbor and say, I believe we can. The author Peter writing to the church that is spread around modern-day Turkey, and they're all over the place. They're under great persecution. Peter walked with Jesus. He walked with his shepherd and his leader, and he was trained for three years, three and a half years. He was following in the footsteps of Jesus. I don't know about you, but you would think if you actually followed and slept with and ate with and did all life with, humility in the flesh that you would learn a thing or two about humility do you believe that probably a little bit of that would be seen observed rubbed off on jesus told peter that that satan was going to attack him regardless of what he learned regardless of all those years with jesus peter knew satan's after me and that he he was going to fail i don't know if you walked in feeling like i started well or i was going good for a while but peter completely fell apart, even though there was the guarantee that he was going to be one of the, the tips of the spear in building the church. And he denied it again and again that, that he would do what? That he would go to prison for Jesus. That he would even die for Jesus. Do you remember him saying that? Peter, you're going to deny me. Nope, nope, not me. In Luke 22, we see the story unfold there. This same Peter that fell and failed and faltered Jesus also knew he was going to be restored because that's what Jesus does to mess-ups and failures. He just keeps restoring them back. Peter knew this well. When the battle raged, Peter failed. And Jesus Jesus even needed Peter's support. And at the greatest time, remember the Garden of Gethsemane, that who, who was there snoozing away in Jesus' greatest time? 
Peter, James, and John. Peter was right there. I, I will not fail you. I, I won't mess it up. I'll, I'll take a stand. I'll always be there. <sighs> so much for that, Peter. I will not deny you. I'll go to jail. I'll go to prison. I will die for you. I don't know the man. I don't know him. I do not know him. But the story wasn't over for Peter. Peter, now an older shepherd, he's battle-tested, and now he's preparing the next generation of Christians that he knows this about them. They're going to fail, just like he did. And that Jesus is going to keep offering forgiveness and grace and restoration is going to be the end of their story if they would have it, if they would receive it, if they would choose this way again and again. And so I just jotted this down. How in the world is the church going to survive our coming crisis? And I think Peter gives us the answer. The same way that the early church overcame and persevered in their current crisis. The more that things change, the more they stay exactly the same. The more time elapses, the more that Scripture proves to be relevant again and again and again. And I love it. Every time diving into Peter throughout the series, I'm going... Is he reading our mail? How did, how did he know? Because every generation has its battles and every generation looks around and sees the culture falling apart and sees the darkness invading and there's still the same answer. So what, what's God's solution to all this? If you're taking notes, jot this down. Church, here's, here's what God demands. God demands humble leadership. This is where Peter starts. He says in verse 1, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. He's like, we're in this together. And a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Peter actually watched, observed. He was there firsthand eyewitness, the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Humble leadership. We're talking about leaders. There's a job to do. He says elders, plural. Pastoral leadership is plural. It's not one. There's more than one. He makes that clear. Pastoral leadership in the New Testament. We got three terms. Can you handle it? First one is overseer. We see overseer throughout the New Testament. Overseer or bishop, leader of leaders. In a sense, we could say superintendent. Episkopos is the, the Greek word. No, I did not cuss. Children, you don't have to cover your ears. Episkopos literally means bishop, overseer, superintendent in the church. That's where we get a denomination of Episcopalian because they have a bishop form of church government. Elder is number two. We see that throughout Scripture of pastoral leadership marked by elder, healthy, godly, mature leaders. The word is presbyteros, presbyterian. We have another denomination that pulled from there. They are operated by elders from the top down. We see that from Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3. Organized leaders. Governance of organization to be able to handle all of the things and operations. Oversight, right? Elders. But mature, godly leaders. Another term that we see is shepherds. A shepherd. Literally, we could call it pastor-teacher. Pastor, teacher. In some translations, you would have pastor. Some, you would have teacher. More literal translations, actually, they translate it pastor hyphen teacher as if it's one word. Uh, the word is poimen in Greek. Ephesians 4.11, God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers to be able to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. We see all of these terms pointing to, in a sense, one office. There is specifically as shepherd or shepherd teacher, a relational leader. 
compassionate protector. Shepherds protect. We're also talking here wise coaches, those that are a little bit further ahead that can coach a team, a group, right? And we have Bible teacher. And so, so I was just thinking about some of these terms. One, one in particular is uh, bishop that uh, certain denominations throw out as if like, if bishop is before my name, I have a little bit more spiritual authority than even the common pastor. Oh, you're only a pastor? I'm a, I'm a bishop. I'm a bishop. Wow. How about we just call that a pastor or a teacher or a shepherd? It's all the same thing. Well, if we want to one-up a bishop, we would call them an apostle. And who's an apostle? Well, Peter would be an apostle, right? That would be a term that we see throughout the New Testament. Do you know where else apostle is used that says apostleship has ended? 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, I am the last of the apostles because an apostle is an eyewitness of Jesus. And he's like, I'm kind of out of the birth order because I know that I kind of came after Jesus resurrected, but on the road to Damascus, he showed up and I saw him face to face while I was knocked off of my horse. Paul could say, I'm an apostle, okay? An apostle is one that has seen Jesus and there are no more apostles. This is an early church thing, but what continues throughout church history? These terms do, overseer, elder, pastor, teacher. Not just one, what does Peter say? elders everywhere it's listed other than the qualification of an elder must be it's plural our desire for the past years as we've been praying and preaching through first timothy if you want to go back on our podcast we covered the entire book of first timothy and in first timothy 3 we walk through the qualifications and emphasize there once again there is a plurality of deacons and a plurality of pastors as desiring to be a biblical church we are desiring to pursue that there would be a team of pastors and a team of deacons. Two very distinct roles, but that we are not going solo or rogue. And the desire would be over the next months, over the next years, that we are pursuing to be able to identify qualified pastor, shepherd, teachers that would make up, whether paid or unpaid, that's irrelevant, but qualified and in partnership. And this is what Peter's saying once again. I'm exhorting elders. There should be elders among you. There should be pastors among you. So what is he challenging them to do? Do you see it in verse 2? Here we go. Here's the call, elders. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Not just teach the flock, shepherd the flock. Not just rebuke and correct the flock, shepherd the flock. Whose flock should elders or pastors or bishops or overseers or pastor teachers who should they shepherd? What does it say? Those that are among you. Well, I happen to be shepherding a group in a different city or in a different state or in a different country. You can't shepherd a group that's not among you. I don't know if today, if you would walk up to a shepherd in a field and go, bro, bro, uh, I see that you're in a field and there should be a flock. Where's your flock? I'm shepherding a flock in, in the next county over then why are you here? Well, don't you know modern day technology? I can zoom in on my flock. No, shepherd the flock that's among you. Find your sheep and be with them. You should smell like sheep because you're a shepherd and you need to shepherd the people that are actually around you. You can't help people that you only see once in a while. You got to see them regularly. You got to be with them. You got to get in the pen and you got to get dirty in order to know how to properly lead the entire flock. Peter is 
pretty clear, even though we may change the categories and the definitions, uh, this does not change. This has been the same throughout church history, and it's so crystal clear. What, what else does he say? He's clarifying shepherd. What does it mean to be a shepherd? Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. This is, this is God's will for you, shepherds. Not for shameful gain. Somebody say Judas. I'll be with the church and I'll be with Jesus, but I'm not actually bought into the mission and I'm, I'm not really like surrendered or sold out to it and I'm kind of looking for my own hidden agenda of why I'm sticking around. Not for shameful gain, not, not what you can get out of it. He was part of the team for years and he was never on team Jesus. Could we do a little self-assessment? We can be in the church for years and years. We can be around the teaching and around God's people and not be on team Jesus. Do you believe that? Because when we die and face God, He's not going to say, well, did you show up to church every week? He's saying, is your name in the book? Are you part of the team? Were you committed to the mission? Were you living in obedience? Did you obey the gospel? Or were you an imposter? Were you a fake? And you know what Peter's burden is? He's like, this isn't wishy-washy church attenders. He's saying, pastors are like this. Pastors are like this. Well, if I get a paycheck, I'll serve. But if I'm, I'm not getting paid, I'm not going like, to show up or offer my services. I have a lot of gifts, but what's in it for me? Do you know how many pastors are like that? A lot. Do you know what has changed over 2,000 years? Not much. And so do you believe that you should be holding me accountable? for whether I'm living this out? Absolutely. If there's anything that you observe in me or future pastors at this church, you should be able to go through 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, and 1 Peter 5 and say, your life doesn't line up with this. I'm concerned about what I'm seeing. I'm concerned about your heart and your motives and your agenda because I don't, I don't see that it lines up with the heart and the mission of Jesus. Can we talk? I'm not going to go on social media and talk about it. I'm not going to go to anybody else and talk about it. I'm going to go to you in private, one-on-one, -on -one, and lay out my concerns. That would just be so beautiful in God's eyes. Because yes, I'm accountable before God, but I'm accountable before our congregation. And there is a give and take. There's a one-anothering that is to occur regardless of title or role. Do you believe that? That we're in this together. And the calling is so high and he's so burdened here. Verse 4, well, let's, let's back up. Verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge. Don't, don't dominate, not for shameful game, but be eager to serve. Come early, stay late. Ask what else, what else is needed. Don't domineer. Well, now that I have this role or this position, I'm kind of the boss around here, so I'm going to tell you what to do, and I'm not going to do it my, myself. And I just, I, I would say, don't stop praying for for me don't stop praying for future leadership in our church that we would be leaders that would lead the way by being humble leaders because that's what god demands god's demanding not suggesting he's demanding humility in his leaders because there's no way a church can walk in humility if the leaders are not modeling it and living that i don't know if if your pops growing up uh, said, do as I say, not as I do, as a, an official slogan, but in the church, that's not working. Uh, 
do like I do and do like Jesus says and let's do that together. And there's a lot that needs to be talked about, I think, throughout time as we observe things where it might look like, hey, it doesn't look like you're in it for the right reasons. It looks like you're kind of a control freak. And so do we need prayer? Big time. Do you believe that this applies to like every role of authority? Do you believe that the application, the principle is there of what type of parent should you be? You should be raising kids that you don't dominate and control over, but that you shepherd them. You should be a boss. If you're a manager, a supervisor, or a boss, you should be the type that leads this way, that does not control or dominate, that isn't looking for the agenda of, I'll be nice to you today, kid, if you don't humiliate me at the grocery store in line. Right? I'll, give you, I'll give you an ice cream cone. I'll manipulate you and bribe you if, if you don't do what I don't want you to do and do what I want you to do. How about shepherding? That's so different. There's not a category for it in the world, but there's a huge category for this right here in the church. And it starts with the leadership of our church and it, it works its way down. I don't know if you've had bad experiences in the past, so, I mean, we could spend the next hour or two open mic about horrible experiences with hypocritical shepherds, pastors, elders, and the hurts of churches. But could I just say, every week I'm praying over our church for healing because I know for some of us, for many of us, we're not coming into our church or being part of our church without some hurts along the way, without some hypocrisy that has kind of jaded us and we we need to heal from that right and guess what there's a lot of shepherds that maybe act this way because they got their own stuff that they need healing so would you pray for leadership as leadership prays for you what, what does he say be an example to the flock don't just talk but but everybody say but but being an example be an example lead the way lead the way and when the chief shepherd appears oh uh, Come, come quickly, chief, shepherd, boss of the church, King Jesus. But it's not yet. Not yet. But when he does come, what's going to happen? You will receive the unfading crown of glory. But we kind of want reward right now, don't you? I, I don't want to wait. I kind of want it now. I want the payout right now. It's When it gets hard, I kind of want to quit. And I don't want to wait. I don't want any kind of deferred payment. I want upfront payment. We all know how that is interacting with people. I, I, I kind of want this because I don't trust you and I'm not sure uh, how long I can wait. So I, I kind of need some evidence and proof right now. And anybody that ever leads within the church needs to hear these words again and again. Uh, there's a crown. There's a reward. Glory's coming, but it's not yet. It's coming soon in a heaven near you, but right now, the endurance of putting up with and deferred reward, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. Parents, grandparents, we know that it's going to be worth it. I, I know I can endure because I know right now is not the end of the story, but someday the sacrifice and the efforts, it's going to pay off. And, and here's the good news. Even if you never see anything in your home with your family members, if you pour yourself into another Christian and try to disciple them and counsel them and you're seeing nothing seeing nothing if you're trying to reach your family and you're sharing the gospel over and over seeing nothing at all know this God 
sees. God is marking it. God's recording it on that day. It's all going to be worth it because not a single sacrifice, not a single investment is going to miss God's notice. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? That you can continue on giving and sacrificing, whether you're officially a pastor, elder, or not, the principle is the same. God's people need leaders with pure motives, and pure motives are going to happen through fiery ministry trials. And, and I wish I could share all of the stories of being in ministry over the past almost two decades of fiery trials. And as much as many of us hurt from things that have happened at church, there's a number of things that pastors carry with them of unmet expectations and things that have been said. And I, I don't even have to go back over a year to peruse social media accounts to see my name with expletives next to it of people that have been invested in, poured into, sacrificed for, that have a lot to say about me and about this church. And throughout the years, there is going to be fire. It's going to be trial. And guess what we choose? We choose to be humble leaders. Otherwise, returning evil for evil, lost the reward. There you go. We're done. We're even now. I want something better than that. And I hope you do too. That we can shut our mouths and not go and vent elsewhere. That we can take this to the Lord and say, God, your glory is going to be revealed soon and I am ready for it and it's going to be worth it no matter what they've done or what they've said. The church needs leaders who know God is in control and they keep on going. They look in, they're looking to glory. They're looking to the reward in the life to come, not in this one. Shepherds with the character of Christ, not because Jesus suggests it, but because God demands it. So I'm serious when I say, can you redouble your efforts to be able to pray for me and pray for my family that we would live this? Not talk about it, not teach it, but every single day is another day for choosing humility, for choosing to get low, for choosing to entrust all of it to God and live with character. I want that. I hope you want that. If you leave because you're upset about the, the paint on the walls and the color of the carpet, that's a problem. If you leave the church because I am unqualified, disqualified based on the word, and that I'm an arrogant and angry and controlling leader, then in Jesus' name, run and find a church where you can find humble leadership and submit to them completely and fully. But I want to be that. And I think you want that for me and for all of our future pastors. May it be so. Can I, can I get an amen? May it be so. May that be so, God, in your house, in your church. How about this? Number two, church, God demands humble followers. Whoa, 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 whoa. Can we get back to the shepherd thing, that whole leader thing? Can we talk about humility in somebody else? Not, let's not talk about me. Let, let's not get personal. Verse five, what does it say? Am I making, making stuff up? Verse five, likewise, what is he saying? In the same way, in the same way that everything we just said, as far as character, as far as attitude, as far as humble posture goes, in the same way, you who are younger, be subject, be submissive to the elders, to the pastors, to the overseers. So some of you might be thinking, how young is young? What does younger mean? Does that mean younger than the pastor? Does that mean younger than the oldest person in our church? Uh, I'll, I'll let you 
seek God's face on that to ask, uh, is there any immaturity in me that I would still be defined as an immature, younger Christian, regardless of age, regardless of church attendance? But why does he go after the younger? Uh, do, you, do you think that even 2,000 years ago, maybe, 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 that, that even within the church, even in a persecuted church, that there might have been younger people in the church that were defiant, that were intolerant of submission to leadership, that didn't trust who was kind of uh, shepherding and overseeing? Do you believe that that was going on as Peter was writing this letter? Everybody nod your head. Yes. And I'm so glad we're over that phase. Man, the early church, they were a mess. I don't know what was going on with the youth of that church. I don't know what was up with those young adults, but we're so far past that, right? 2023, it's just a day of every generation more and more submissive to authority. Aren't you so glad that that's, wait, that is not true, is it? Every generation we define as the most insubordinate generation. Well, guess what? Uh, Peter had some thoughts inspired by the Holy Spirit about the younger generation and nothing has changed. Every generation needs to wrestle through the call of God on their life to submit to authority. Is, is this an easy one for you? No problem. I know that some people out there, they, they struggle with submission. They struggle with following the rules and doing what they're told. Can we get real personal? For some of us, we've been here for months and even years, and every time I say open God's Word, you're like, no, I'm not going to do it. Every time we say, hey, why don't you take notes? No, I'm not going to do it. So maybe this would be you. You who are younger or immature, come under the leadership. Follow. So what's the alternative? If younger are not hanging out with older, if younger and immature are not spending time together with more mature, then what's the alternative? Younger spending a whole lot of time with younger and what's the result? Pooling ignorance. So here's a question. Have I made it my pattern to pool ignorance? I, I don't like hanging out with old crusty farts. I would rather hang out with hipster cool friends because they get me, man. They just understand me. I know, and they keep giving you foolish counsel and you keep giving them foolish counsel and idiocracy is just bouncing in this echo chamber. And God says, may the church be a place where our foolishness is exposed and called out by those that are wise. And those that are immature get within proximity to those that are more mature so that maturity can rub off, that we can be changed, that we can rise up together in unity. But it starts with submission. This is hard. This is hard. Okay, so should we continue? Because you're like, I'm not a pastor, dude. And maybe I'm not a young buck. So where do, I, where do I land? Guess what? Peter's got a word for you. Keep reading. Let's just keep reading. Don't stop. Don't stop. Keep reading. Clothe yourselves, some of you. Is that what your translation says? Uh, take off the old, dirty, nasty rags and clothes of pride and arrogance and self-sufficiency and put on new clothes. Clothe yourself, all of you. Turn your neighbor and say, even you. All, all, all. And I looked up in the Greek, and in the Greek, can you believe this? In the Greek, all means all, and all is all, all will ever mean. All of us, no exemptions, no exceptions, we are to actually clothe ourselves. Isn't that an awesome picture? Take off the nasty stuff and put this on, wear it everywhere you go. What should I wear? Humility toward one another. Are you talking younger to older? Yes. Hold up. Are we talking older to younger? Yes. 
one another. Are we talking kids to parents that are seeking God, that there should be humility? Yes. Should there be humility parents to children? Where are they going to learn it unless they see it? Where is the church going to learn it unless they see it in their leaders? How are we going to be changed unless we not just read it and study it and debate it, but we actually observe it? I don't know if you're following Jesus, so I'm not going to make that assumption, but for some of us, if you've been following Jesus for any time, I don't know if you can look back on your, on your early months or early years. Maybe that's where you're at right now, is, is in this, this early time. There is almost a childlike, obsessive, eyes locked on those that are older to be able to observe and take in, what does this Christian life look like? Because I don't understand half of the words, especially when preacher dudes throwing out Greek words. I'm just so lost. But one thing I can do as a baby in Jesus is I can look around and go, who's been here for a while? Who's been following Jesus for a while? What are they wearing? And I don't care if it's a suit and tie and a dress. Are they wearing humility? Because any young Christian is going to call out BS on anybody that is a hypocrite. And I mean bad spirituality by BS, okay? In case you were confused, I got some looks. I'm wondering what, what's the problem. It's really bad, really bad spiritual practice to be able to look around and just accuse people of not being clothed in humility. But I think every new believer at our church should expect to be able to glance around, peruse the horizon of the church, and be able to see some things. And they should be able to see those that have been walking with Jesus for a while, more humility, more garments put on of holy humility. They should see it. And if they're not seeing it in you, who are they going to see it in? If you've been saved for longer than five years or ten years, if you've been walking with Jesus for a few decades, if you've been in church for a while, this is one thing that should mark all of you. And it's this. He could have said anything, right? Uh, biblical scholarship and aptitude. That could have been, that, that's what you should expect. Clothe yourselves in more Bible studies and your understanding of technical terms, your ability to understand the storyline of Scripture. Clothe yourself in all of that. But instead, he chooses humility. Because when you're under the pressure, when you're going through the stuff of life, when persecution is coming your way, what do you desperately grasp for? And I don't know about you, but when I'm going through the stuff, I'm looking around and wondering, are any other pastors going through what I'm going through? Did they make it to the other side? What is their attitude as they go through trials in ministry? I just need somebody that is clothed in humility, that knows what it's like to go through the junk and the troubles and that they came out not bitter and angry and arrogant, but they came out more refined and more humble. Do you believe I need people like that? I, I need speed dial. I need, I need a list of guys that I can say, I don't need a Bible study. I don't need a lesson. I need your life. I need to grab on and say, tell me there's hope. Tell me that I can make it through this without falling apart and that I can walk through it without backstabbing and criticizing and blame shifting and finger pointing that I can get on the other side of this more humble than I was before. I need pastors in my life like that. Guess what? Every believer in this room needs other believers in this room that have made it through and they're more humble on the other side and we can watch you. We can observe you. We can listen the way that you talk. We can sense your attitude and your heart that it's more tender, not hard, having gone through the fiery 
trials. It starts with the top. It works its way down. He's saying, followers of Jesus, be humble, regardless of your age. All, all, all. Why would we do that? <laughs> Peter, help me understand why would I choose this path of humility? Uh, Casey, he needed to make his case even further. He says this, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud. So why, why should I respond in humility? Why should I fight my way for humility? Because you're going to be at war with God if you don't. There's no other way to understand what he's saying here. God opposing means armies, rank and file, are moving towards the front lines and ready to attack. Have you ever thought about your relationship with God? That even though you're going to heaven, even though you've been made right by the blood, practically, do you want your Father in heaven to be watching you respond with arrogance and pride and resistance and He's ready to oppose? I'm not listening to you when you pray. Get this right and humble yourself so we can be right practically in relationship once again. This is pretty intense. Opposing the proud. But what does He do? He pours out, right? The heavens open up and He pours out grace on the humble. Who is able to actually live this life of humility? Can, can I do it? Can, can you do it? Are, are you able to live consistently in a humble manner? There's one who did. And if you're following in his footsteps of humility, when he stops, you should run into his back. You should have such proximity to the humble servant that chose to lay down his life that you are keeping in step with him, that you are tracking with him. You're never going to do it perfectly. He already did. And if you're following him, you're going to be more like him. Only Jesus has always been humble. What, what about the flip side? Who has always been arrogant throughout history since the fall? We, we have a, a long storyline, narrative of one who doesn't know a lick about humility. He goes by many names. Do you have one of them? Or we could call him the devil. We could call him Satan. He consistently, perpetually lives in arrogance. Uh, one commentator said uh, about Satan, as I've been reading over the weeks, this has been fascinating. He said, Satan is a deceiver, but what if he is masterfully deceived himself? He's so arrogant that he actually believes in the end he wins. He's fully convinced that this whole thing is his, right? That he's going to win. That's arrogant. But every time that we choose to be self-centered, demanding, every time we choose to isolate and withdraw, retaliate, accuse, every time we're angry and explode, every time we're argumentative and selfish, fault-finding and blame-shifting, we're choosing the path of Satan. I don't know how often you think about that, but there's two ways to live. There's two attitudes. And any given moment, we're choosing to take our directives, our cues from Jesus, the humble servant, or Satan, the arrogant predator that we're going to read about next week. We're going to hear more. And guess where they all lead? Every single one of those manifestations of pride leads to, leads to destruction. Proverbs 16, 18. Do you want to jot that down? I don't know if you have that in your notes, but we need to be reminded again and again. Pride goes before destruction, an arrogant spirit before a fall. And humility is not thinking less of yourself of, okay, so I shouldn't be arrogant, so I'm not supposed to boast, so I'm just, I'm nothing, I'm worthless. How's that for humility? Everybody say that's lame. It's super lame. It's not about degrading yourself. It's not about making less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. I forget about myself. I'm not even considering me. I'm focused on my king and I'm following his spirit and I'm looking around to serve and to give. I'm thinking about others. I don't have time 
to elevate myself. I just think of myself less. Humility lets God be in the center of your life. It leaves room for others to, to join you. Humility is a, a do thing. It's not a feel thing. It doesn't matter if you feel humble. Are you taking steps of action that are pursuing humility? I mean, just assess this past week. Should we do that for a second? Everybody just, you can close your eyes. Just imagine, let's replay the, the past week. Did you follow your feelings or did you choose and be directed by the humble servant king? No matter how you felt, no matter what was happening to you, no matter the circumstances, humility is a do thing. It's an action. Even if you have good intentions, humility is not an intention thing. It's an action thing. So church, I ask once again, how are we doing in this area? That hope can only grow in the church if humility is growing. It doesn't matter about attendance. It doesn't matter about budget. It doesn't matter about all of the events and all of the planning for all of the ministry. If humility is not growing, we're not growing. Because God opposes the proud, even in His church, and He's going to maybe snuff out one and pour out blessing on another where there is humility being pursued. There is no toleration here. And we're following Jesus in this humility. Not only Jesus, but I, I looked this up. Everybody ready for a fun biblical fact? Humility. Humility in various terms, various words, the concept of humility almost a thousand times in Scripture. Do you think this is kind of a big deal close to the heart of God? Again and again, he is calling out the arrogant and he is emphasizing humility. Pride is demonic and humility is godly. Pride pulls hell up into our relationships, into our lives, and humility invites heaven down. Somebody say that's awesome. I hope that's your heart. May your kingdom come. May heaven come down. And God would say, choose humility. Pride is natural. Anybody feeling that? Your default, your knee-jerk reaction is always pride. There's something supernatural about humility. It only comes from above. We never can live in humility without a supernatural work of the Spirit. How about this? Pride is like, like a demonic spirit just running into any situation where you open the door. And humility is like the spirit that's chasing the demonic out. How about this? Pride Pride is how we war with God. Anybody in favor of a, a, a ceasefire there so that we can start actually worshiping? Because humility is how we worship God. You're never going to worship a God that you don't humble yourself before and exalt. How about this? Pride can humiliate you. Should we pass the mic? We could have open, open mic morning about all the ways that, uh, that arrogance and pride has led to absolute humiliation. Uh, you, you think preacher dude's got some, some stories of that? Maybe even from the past week? Got some fresh ones? When we choose pride, we choose humiliation again and again. But this is what Peter says, and we're going to see this in verse 6 in a moment. Only you can humble you. He says, humble yourself. Choose the path of humility. Because pride is a destination. Of, I, I, I need to get my way. I need to get my thing. I need to be right. And then I'll be satisfied, which we never are. But humility is a direction. My toes are pointed this way, and I'm going to keep walking this path of humility. And how about this? Pride is the cause of relational problems. Can I get an amen there? Uh, can we say like big time? Maybe... Maybe there's like two things in your life that pride did not cause or cause a relational problem, but we, could, we, could we say 99.9% of relational conflict, relational problems? Pride, pride, 
pride, pride. And I love it that God doesn't leave us there. He's got a cure. Do you believe it? Humility is the cure for relational problems. No matter what they do, you have the cure. They can't infect you because you have the cure. You don't have to join them. And some of you don't realize, we haven't known each other maybe all that long, but I would not be in a place of even thinking about humility or pursuing humility. And uh, most of you, all it takes is about four minutes of hanging out with me to know that I have a long ways to go, okay? okay? But there's something powerful about being around an incredibly humble person that changes you because they're a mirror that exposes your arrogance and your pride. And I, I, don't, know, I don't know if you have a close friend, maybe it's somebody here, you would say, I know that they're living a humble life and I want to get close because I see that I'm the cause of a lot of my relationship problems if I'm really honest. I need a cure, but I also need somebody that is going to help me, that's going to call me out, that is going to live and model and be an example of something different. So I'm not going to share my whole life story, but here it is in a snapshot. Arrogant John meets humble Sarah. First five years, uh, there was one person fighting regularly. Okay, And those fights didn't continue an awful long time because it takes two to tango. And when one chooses to never join, it's not very fun over time. Clearly, I'm talking about the arrogance of Sarah, right? Um, and so years and years of me fighting with me and Sarah just holding up the mirror of like, wow, are, are you fully humiliated yet? You're an idiot, but I'm not going to say a word. There's something powerful about someone living that consistently in your life that makes you realize I'm not who I thought I was. I, I'm not as humble as I thought I was because I'm comparing myself to somebody else. That's demonic. I need to start comparing myself to Jesus and the person that I see that is closest to Jesus in my life and start asking, I need a, a cure. How do I get the cure? I need people to rub off on me. I need them to call me out. And it is pretty powerful when you, when you get to sleep with that person in a holy way, right? It's pretty powerful when you're married to that person and they get to consistently just live a humble life. And guess what? I get reminded not just from my humble wife, but then my kids, all five of them every day get to go, humility, pride, humility, pride, humility. Hey, dad, hey, dad, uh, are you seeing what I'm seeing? How come mom's doing that and you're doing that? How come mom's saying it that way and you're saying it that way? How come? So think about the context that you're in and are they cultivating more humility? Are you spending time with the right people or are you busy comparing yourself to others that are terrible examples and thinking that you're a little bit better than them? As you go through this list, just be thinking, what's one step that I need to take? What's one, who's one person I need to get close to so that they can rub off on me? How about this? Lastly, number three, church. Not only does God demand humble leaders and humble followers, He's got a message for us all, but here's where we're going to stop today, verses 6 and 7. And I want us to make the connection before we go. Okay, got a few minutes. Can you, can you hold with me? Verse 6 clarifies this. God demands anxiety releasers. Releasing anxiety, turning from anxiety, casting anxiety 
goes hand in hand with rejecting arrogance and pride and pursuing humility. Have you made the connection? Because Peter wants to help us. Verse 6. If you got your nose in Scripture, do you see it? Somebody say, I see it. Verse 6. You see a little number? Chapter 5. That's the big one. Little number 6. 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves. You choose. You choose. It's a choice. Humble yourself. Humble yourselves, but how? But how? 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 Turn to your neighbor and ask him how. Do they know? They, they given any answers? Uh, hopefully your neighbor said, keep reading. Keep reading. The answer's there. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Why? Why, why do you humble yourself under God? Not for, for eye service, not because what people see or how you are perceived by them, but because you're truly getting under God, under His hand, so that, anywhere in Scripture that it says, so that, you're going, all right, there's a command and then there's an explanation. There's something that God is telling me to do and He's explaining why. Anybody thankful for that? That over and over again, Scripture's like, do this, this, and this because, so that. Yeah, so that what? What's going to happen? Why would I do that? What's the result? Peter says this, if you get low under the mighty hand of God and you choose to humble yourself at the proper time, God is going to exalt you. He's going to do what? I get low and the lower I go in the proper time at the right time. Is it your time? Is it your timing that you get to choose when you, you can kind of get out of the, the prostrate position that you can get up and start walking? No, God says in the right time, I'm, I'm going to make it right. I'm going to exalt you. What does he mean by this? Well, in this very moment, God is watching you go through the fiery trials, go through the stuff of life. And the more that you get low, and I hope this is a comfort to you because I know for some of us, we're going through some things. And for some of us, even this last week, you were like, God, how long? How long is this going to go on? How long am I going to have to wait? I don't know if I can keep doing this. If you choose to humble yourself and get under God's sovereign hand, He's the boss. He's in control. When you get under Him, God guarantees this is a promise. This is a promise. At the right time, at, the right, at His time, the right time, he is going to exalt you. The fiery trial is going to stop when God says stop. The hardship and the pressure and the darkness, all that you're facing is going to go away and be removed. The weight that feels like it's crushing you is going to be lifted when, God, when? At the proper time. And, it, and I mean this compassionately. Your timing sucks. Okay. You have horrible timing. Your plans of what you think things should happen and when are awful. And that's true of me. And this is what I also know. And hear God telling you over and over this week, this month, I don't know how long, how many years you're going to have to go through this. Hear God's voice saying, at the right time, it's going to be over. At the proper time, it's going to be lifted. The heat is going to be turned down when it's over, when it's done its work, when the trial has brought the refinement, when the lesson has been learned, when you're different, when you are not just humiliated, but when you're truly humbled, it's going to be done. Do you believe that God has His finger on the switch 
and he's got his eyes on your problem. And at the perfect timing, it's done. I don't know if we have any bakers in the house, but there is a perfect time to pull it out of the oven. And the heat is set. And guess what? The cookies inside that were doughy don't know what you're doing out there. But you're a master baker. And you do. When you're making something, there is a heat and there is a time. When God is making you like Jesus, there is heat and there's a time. It's not always going to be like this. Do you believe that? And I know I, I could sit down with each one of you and hear how long it's been going on and how hard it's been. And the answer is the same for all of us. That's how clear God is in his word. At the proper time, I'm going to lift you out of this. At that moment. But what do you have to do in the meantime? Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Turn to your neighbor and say, humble yourself. There you go. You have your answer. What am I supposed to do? Humble yourself. Well, yeah, I tried that. No, you clearly didn't. Because if you were trying it, you'd still be doing it and you'd still be waiting until God's proper time. Humble yourself. How do I practically humble myself? I'm glad you asked. Do you know that Peter has an answer? Peter, this is all good and well, but like, can you give me some application? Can you show me how to do this? Ah, it's right there. If you keep reading the next verse, verse seven, here's what humility in action looks like. You see it? Casting some of the anxieties that you can't deal yourself. Is that what it says? Casting some of the stuff that's a little bit too hard for you. If we master this, we master the process of humility. We're never going to arrive, but here's the way forward. Here's God's word for you as you leave this place. Begin a process of casting all, all, all. Somebody say all. All of your worries, all your anxieties, all your frustrations, all of the things, all of the things, all of them, not some of them, on him. And he could have just stopped there, right? Could have just said, uh, just, just do that, and then we're done. Guess what? He keeps going. We have another because. We have another so that. What's the answer? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. Do you believe that the God who created the bird cares for the bird and takes care of the bird? Yes. Do you believe that the God who creates the flowers cares for the flowers and takes care of the flowers? Yes. How much more does he care for you? He wasn't slaughtered and tortured. He didn't hang on the cross for any other created thing. He did it for you. If he took care of your biggest problem, hell, eternal damnation, if he took care of that, how much more is he going to take care of every single thing that you're going through and that you ever will go through? But what's your part? What's your part? Help me out. What's your part? I'm going to cast all of my anxiety on him. I'm going to cast it all. Here, let's, let's look at this up on the screen because I think there's some confusion around anxiety and fear, but Here's the deal. You, you can't keep from fear knocking on the door. There's no way that, that you can prevent the situation and the circumstances, but I think this is going to be helpful. Here's, here's a picture painted for you. You can't keep fear from visiting, but you must slam the door in its face. Passively tolerating anxiety to take over your home kicks Jesus 
out the back door. There's only room enough for one. Either Jesus, your caring friend, will cleanse your home, or worry will become a squatter taking over your home one room at a time. I don't know how long you've been living with squatters. Everybody know what a squatter is? We lived in the Caribbean, and guess what we found out? Like half of the homes in in the Caribbean, because some rich dude in Britain like owns it and uh, never finished it, there's a whole lot of dudes that are living inside of there, and guess who would claim ownership? They would. It's mine now. Started decorating. You are not a passive participant in the battle with anxiety. It is not primarily a biological, medical issue. It is not a mental disorder. Fear is a temptation that you need to face and do something with. And if you've given in to fear since you were four years old, it feels like you don't have control. But the reality is, you do. Because there's a command from Jesus to cast it all, to get rid of it, expel the squatters, and they're not going to leave kindly and respectfully. They've been there for a while. But if Jesus is going to clean up, if He is going to execute His kind of peacemaking in your house, and He is going to turn your place upside down with grace, something's got to go. And you're going to make a choice. I kind of like my anxiety. I kind of use it as a crutch and an excuse. I kind of like it to stay. It's just got the back bedroom. It's not like it takes over everything. Well, it's not going to stop with that. It's going to take over every drawer and every closet and every room unless Jesus has his way by you casting it all out. I wonder if today could be the day that you would say, I'm done with it. I'm done with it.